them. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, good overnight. Haven't said that for a while, actually. I dropped the overnight bit. Um, I'm Anthony. And I'm JB. And welcome to our Global Leadership Podcast. Yes. So um, for those of you that are listening to us via the live audience, as you know, if you're listening to recorded podcasts, we have it in front of a live audience. You can register for the podcast at Seedle.com and you can come in the live audience like our lovely audience we have here today. Now, the people that are in the live audience can submit questions and JB and I will talk about anything leadership related. So we don't have an agenda. We do have a couple of talking themes. Uh, For those of you in the live audience, if you've not downloaded our back catalogue, search wherever you get your podcasts, Seedle. S-E-E-D-L, wherever you get your podcast, and you'll see that there are loads of different episodes. I think about 100 hours now of podcast material. Back in the day, when me and JB started this three years ago, um, we used to do it with a bottle of wine, but we've kind of cut back on the wine these days um, because it's probably not good for our our blood pressure, amongst other things. Anyway, uh, JB, how are you? What's new in your world this week? Well, um, all sorts of things. Uh, As you know, and I hit a milestone age uh, Mm. this month and uh, the listeners those who are on the podcast and viewing me will probably look at me and think that I am probably at least 80 Uh, but the truth is that I am several decades away from that Uh, I have four children uh, which is probably why I only have another decade left to be fair if I'm lucky Um, But yes, it's been a milestone month of partying. Uh, I've celebrated in Liverpool. Uh, I was born in a place called Heswell near Liverpool. So I had to go back there and do the the big 60s thing in Liverpool with the Beatles and the Beatle tour. I went to the cavern, danced like a crazy person. Um, got completely paralytic uh, in the cavern and had to be escorted out by my friend. I've also celebrated in London. London's had a very, very big impact on my life and also Ramsgate. I've got one more to go, which is Sussex, because I spent quite a lot of time there. That's all wow. a bit UK-ish. Mm. Um, but I know, Ant, mm. in this month, you have travelled. Yes. So um, I was in the Isle of Man two weeks ago. Um, I am due in Bermuda in January and Houston in January. Oh no, Austin, sorry, Austin, Texas in January. And then the, anyway, yeah, it's all a bit crazy. That said, I've got no more travel between now and January. So I'm kind of done now between now and Christmas, which is good news. Um, but as I speak to you um, in the live audience and for the podcast listeners, I'm actually doing this podcast today <laughs> from a recording studio at an exhibition. Um, now, I think the settings mean that you can't hear hugely amount of the background noise, but I'm in the soundproof booth. But of course, with the noise of an exhibition, it makes it all very noisy, essentially. But um, what, what's interesting is outside of this is a big TV screen and there are people congregating around watching us, but they can't hear us because of the exhibition noise. We don't have big speakers because we were told it'd be too noisy. But people are stood outside looking in and there's studio windows either side of me you've got a virtual backdrop but it feels a bit bizarre i am literally in a fish tank but i'm trying to find the rock to hide under as a small fish so that i'm not particularly visible on camera so that's today um so the podcast then as ever um we have a range of subjects that jb and i like to talk about plus we take listener questions Uh, we have a live audience if you have a question for us you can submit it in the q a box or the chat box Uh, if you are listening to us in the podcast if you submit a question which we have had uh, one question submitted actually jb um in advance today uh, you can email glp at seedle.com that's glp for global leadership podcast at seedle.com send it through 
and we tackle the questions um, every time we record. I think we've got one more podcast for Chris before Christmas. So if you're quick, um, we can include it in the next recording. Um, but I can say, JB, we hit a new milestone, apparently, um, I think of 100,000 downloads the other week, which is all very exciting. I think what happens is people download our back catalogue and that gives us a big bump. But there you go. So this this week, JB, um, what leadership subjects would you like to cover? Because I have got a couple, but I'm conscious that I often go first. Well, uh, we have been banging on about curiosity this week, one way or the other. And I thought that would be quite an interesting subject to cover off. So curiosity uh, in in leadership, uh, is it uh, the superpower that you need uh, as a global leader uh, to make sure that people feel that you are mindful of them, that you are interested in them? Uh, So we're going to have a look at curiosity in leadership as a superpower. I thought it might be quite handy uh, to think about the four-day week, which I don't Uh, think we've covered the four-day week. And there has been some research on it, which I think is quite interesting for us to have a look at in terms of retention, engagement and productivity. What happens when you go to a four-day week? Mm, and we have a couple of audience questions that have already come in as well. If you're in the live audience, you can submit your question. So I have a story that I also want to cover this week, JB, which I always feel a bit awkward about these ones because you and I being both blokes. Um, but there's a BBC article that was published last night, actually. Uh, it's all around their Equality Matters subject in BBC.com. Um, but they have done some research, which is asking the question, is trust has fallen in women leaders even as their numbers in high ranking positions are rising. Why is that? So um, that is an interesting subject, which hopefully we get to talk about a bit later. But the four day week is a very interesting one, JB, if you wouldn't mind tackling that one first, because it's something that as a company, we are already in kind of a hybrid working world now. I think you and I have worked remotely for, well, I know I've eight years than you longer, but um, since 2014, I started working from home. And the flexibility it gives me is wonderful. But I am aware that there is this four-day week trial and some organizations are saying it's great. But if I was a worker in M&S, which is a big um, retail train in the UK, uh, does that work? How does it work? Do they have to have more employees? I think there's a a lot of logistical challenges. Um, And if you only work a five-day working week, in other words, you're not in retail, how do you make sure that all your workers are in to make sure your certain things are covered? So... There are some questions around it. I'm all for it, I think. I think. But it's it's working out what do we lose as a company, if anything. If it's all gains, then I'm all for it. But as a people manager, you know, and some people might have to work five days a week versus some four, because some roles I imagine you could make four days now because you've got an annual objective. Um, but there'll be other things like support desk people that you might need to hire more people to make sure you've always got cover. So I think there, there's a real challenge for, for first-line managers and how that's going to work. But that, that's my initial take. Um, but where, we, where did you want to go with this, JB? Well, I was uh, reading recently um, an article by a guy. Now, just stand by because oh. it's, a, it's one of those names. Um, <laughs> Nosa Omiyagui. Right. Okay? And he writes for HR Magazine. and. He says, businesses hail transformative four-day week pilot. And 
70 companies took part in this on a global level. Uh, they came from the US, Ireland and Australia. Why those countries? I have no idea. Um, but overall, 97% of employees wanted to continue with the four-day week, with 70% saying their next job would need to come with a 10 to 50% pay rise to entice them back into a five-day schedule. So if you do it, it's so popular uh, with staff that they're thinking, well, if you want me to go back to a five-day week, um, I might need a little bit of a pay rise. Um, so <laughs> I think that's ah, that quite challenge. an interesting one for you to have a little bit of a think about, Ant. and and that's on the downside, I think. If, am I right in thinking that would worry you, Tad? Well, it depends on the value back because I, t, 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 it, so on the on the hybrid working model, there are people that are at the moment kind of saying that they're now saving money because they don't have to commute into the office anymore, which is a good thing. But of course, then businesses are then saving money on office space. And then you're hearing some people say, well, that should be passed on to the employees. Uh -huh. And then you've obviously got the, there's a leveling up agenda, you know, in the UK at the moment. And there are in some parts of the UK, it's a pretty cheap cost of living. And if now London is becoming a desert <laughs> of big employers and you can now go and live in a low cost town on a London salary, um, that is going to cause, I think, potentially a real divide between the 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 well-paid and the under-well-paid. So if I work in manufacturing or industrial, you know, and I go and live in Wales, um, you know, I can go and buy a £200,000 house and have a three-bedroom detached house. If every city slicker from London is now moving and can buy a 10-bedroom house or they're buying all these £200,000 houses, that's pushing up the prices and they can go and buy that very easily with a mortgage and affordability. In the meantime, it's, it's pushing local inflation up, which is pushing so many local people out of the property market. So I think there is a, there is a real risk here because if we're going to things like four day weeks and remote working, it may push business leaders to then think, well, actually if they're remote anyway, does it make any difference whether they're in the UK or not? Actually, I may as well go and hire in a low cost location. So are we potentially biting the hand that feeds? And, and I don't know, I'm thinking out loud here, but there is a genuine risk, isn't there, where I could go and employ everybody in Serbia, for example, where the wage costs are about 60% cheaper than the UK. And if, they, if their literacy and their um, English is as good as the British English speakers are, then why don't I do that? So I think... There is this, 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 I think there's a bit of an economic challenge with all of this. Isn't it's it interesting, and it's it, I, so I uh, that's really uh, useful in the conversation that actually you've got property price inflation mm -hmm. uh, that may come as a result of a four day week. But I guess I'm looking at it from a slightly different perspective now, which is the old model uh, of the five day week. Uh, we we have we have worked to we worked within a five day week. Who said who said that we had to have a five day week? Well, businesses. I mean, you know, if we look back in in the mines and things, um, I think they often used to work six day weeks. I think banks had a big influence on 
you know, the office because they were seen as quite regulated and they used to close for an hour at lunchtime. And I think lots of businesses followed suit. I mean, I think my understanding is the national holidays in the UK, we call them bank holidays because that's when the banks decided they were going to shut. Yeah. Um, so, you know, that that's, you know, that it, it, I don't know who defined it, but clearly globally we've adopted <laughs> a five day week in Dubai. I think actually up until recently, they used to have Sunday to Thursday as their working week, not Monday to Friday. Because right. Friday was their day of worship, um, so, but so, still, it's a it's a five day working week. Yep. And I I have in the back of my mind, I think it's something to do with uh, union. Um, Anyone in the audience, by the way, feel free to add if you know the answer. Yeah, please do add in. I, I think it's something to do with with unions um, actually reducing the amount of time us us serfs had to work for our masters. So you know, there was a tendency for people to be pushed to the limit um, beyond five days into six, seven days a week. And so I think I think that regulation came in as a result of uh, union pressure many, many, many moons ago, probably 100 years before you and I were born, Ant. So interestingly, uh, someone in the chat box has just said, apparently Henry Ford standardised a five-day work week instead of six days without reducing employees pay in 1926 to attract uh-huh. people to the business. Uh-huh. So he he perhaps then went away from, you get one day for a week to actually let's have two. Um, so yeah, work week and weekend. Apparently you should look it up. Hang on a minute. I'll look it up. So anyway, the, so there's so Henry there Ford. So that's really useful. Thank you, listener, for that. So the, there's an enormous amount of pressure then uh, over, over, you know, hundreds of years to go to this model, the five-day week. And now we're talking about a four-day week. And uh, here's here's another nugget of this this little um, piece of research. I say little. I mean, it was it was um, seventy companies got involved, um, and that's three thousand three hundred workers across um, the globe. And the global pilot scheme reported results totally involved these companies and the reported increased revenue for the six months rising eight percent during the trial and 38 percent when compared to the same six-month period in 2021 mm-hmm. so these businesses reported increased revenue during these times i mean it i i can see its point so someone else in the chat box has said Apparently, um, they don't know who Robert Owen is, but in 1817, at his socialist community in Scotland, yes, um, it was the idea of a slogan, eight hours labour, eight hours recreation, eight hours rest in 24. So they invented the eight hour, five day week in 1817 in Scotland. So that, But then, of course, North America um, was Henry Ford. Um, so it's 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 so I I mean I think we all know that we probably I mean I end up working 10, 11 hours a day. You know, so on that basis, um I should only work three or four days a week. I think in the Netherlands they've adopted 40 hours, and you can do those 40 hours in four days if you want to, but you know, fight so you can do it between four and five days a week. So they won't allow you to work more than 10 hours a day. Hmm. The impact of uh, people working like that uh, is obviously not great. And the opposite of that was reported during this study. 
employees taking part experienced reduced absenteeism and absenteeism and resignations and reductions in stress and burnout. Uh, the research also found significant declines in the duration and frequency of commuting, obviously. Um, but I, I, I think it's quite an interesting uh, concept, actually, to go to a four-day week if there are grown-up conversations happening inside the organisation and, you know, people... People are inevitably going to find it quite a challenging thing to do to adapt. Some people will find that quite difficult uh, because you're going to have to change the way you work. And I, I'm, do you know, I'm all in favour of flexible working. Me too. I think, it, I think, I think it's kind of where we need to be. I do. I, I really, I'm really interested in that point you made about, uh, you know, people being pushed out of the housing market and where I live in Ramsgate in Kent. Uh, I live in a seaside seaside town and that, you know, there is a little bit of uh, frustration when people come from London on flexible working um, ways of being yeah, uh, on, good, on, on good salaries and they're, they're buying up great big Georgian houses um, and, you know, they work from home and they pop up to London now and again. Yeah. <laughs> that I am one of them. Um, and, and don't get me wrong, I think that it, it at least it helps it it helps bring spend into the local economy because yes. you will then go out and spend in the local community in pubs, restaurants, and bars. And I always do. I always make a point of buying locally and well, certainly, but, but even certainly the big, local but, pubs. But even the national retailers, you know, if there are new Tesco's that open to support the local economy. And there is new houses being built, which then brings investment in from the government to put schools and things, et cetera, together. I see that as a good thing. I, I think the downside, as I say, is, is if you go into a four day week, I think it will exasperate. I'm, I'm, by the way, I'm in favor, but I'm trying to play devil's advocate here. I think it will exasperate the risk of um, people leaving centers of business, which will cause some people to be excluded from getting into you know uh in into their own home for example um but it, it's it's a difficult one in the audience feel free to give us if you've got a particular example of a, th a four day or a five day week um do let us know um gk has already said in the chat box we trialed it and it didn't work because people were working from home for four days but weren't really working from home for four days we're really doing three uh, and then we went back to five and now it is a four day week, really, because on a Friday, no one does much, <laughs> which uh, which, by the way, I think people it's interesting. So we were talking reality and I think, for them. Yeah. yeah. You, you and I were with a client a few weeks ago. I think it was you and me. And that was it me and Joe. And they said that their their mandated office day is Friday. And I thought, oh, that's a bit harsh, you know, making mm. them go into the office on a Friday. And they said, well, no, actually, everyone's agreed. It's quite a good thing because. At five o'clock on a Friday, they lock the office. They say you go home at five and you shut your laptops. So actually there is that the week is over. And Fridays generally everyone's in a better mood. Good day for collaboration. Okay. Yeah. And and then at five o'clock, whereas if you're working at home, you might end up going to six or seven o'clock in the evening on a Friday. You might open a beer and start drinking your beer at five o'clock, but you're still at your desk. Whereas if you're in the office, that commute home, presumably, um, you know, but if you're working and you're having to travel an hour and a half to work. I think that's where it's a bit of a challenge, isn't it? But but there yes. you go. 
I think, um, I think that that four day week um, really leads into a a conversation about uh, the whole bus- business of flexible working and remote working and so on. I I, I personally um, I don't have a strict working pattern. There are times when I work my nuts off and it you know I work well into the evening um, and I get up really early and I do podcasts and webinars and blah 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 to, according to the demand and being in that way I sometimes am in danger of going a little bit Bernie outy um, when I take what I can take uh, because one does but at the same time uh, if I can take a few days off in a week now and again and if my journalist wife is able to down tools, we go off in our yeah. camper van and off we go for for four or five days. Um, now we're we're old git, so we're at the other end of the spectrum. But that's a, do you know that is another matter for another another podcast. Actually, how do you make use of old gits like me in the workforce? WM in the chat box says that their wife uh, has gone to a four day working week. <laughs> And the parent of the company have said they've made it permanent because productivity and revenue has increased off the back of it. Mm-hmm. Um, but the wife thinks actually that, you know, the, the numbers would have risen five or four days, but it's great that it is four days. So there you go. Um, great for parents. Great for parents to to kind of have that flexibility built into their work patterns. Uh, I, I think that's I think that's enlightened organizations, yeah. I think, are not only uh, enlightened about their their workers but also what's happening with their partners yeah the workers partners because i'm one of my relatives is a a lawyer uh and she does three days a week and so does her husband right and so they've managed to work with these two companies into their lives so that they can work when they need to and by god they work those three days those two they really really do Uh, but then they've got those extra two days uh with their three kids their three young kids uh and i I, you know that that just seems smart to me yeah they get that those businesses are getting a hell hell of a lot out of those two there's a lot of trust and a lot of loyalty all round. And they're two very, very sick. One's in HR and the other's a lawyer. And they're very, very successful. Interesting. Mm. Should we take a, a listener question? Let's do that. As an interlude. Yes. Um, okay, Emily uh, from the US. So they're not in the live audience. Uh, they have emailed in to glp at um, and asks, um, what was your leadership style, Ant and JB, when you were line managers? Bonkers. <laughs> you go first, Ant, and then I, I I will try and explain where I think my thing comes from. Okay. Um, so when I first started as a leader, I was probably over-supportive of my people. And that might sound a bit odd, but I came in to a team of people and was told, we just want to create clones of what you used to be. So I, I was a salesperson. I got promoted to be a, a line manager. And um, I then assumed I went into, I, it was a different business. So I didn't have, I didn't inherit my old peers now and they're my people. What actually happened was I was parachuted into this business and I just thought I needed to tell them how to do stuff and in a supportive way. So I started being supportive and then I re- quickly realized that these people 
didn't just need support. Sometimes it needed to be challenged as well. And I don't mean that in a negative way. What I mean is, is that actually if you over, if you smother your people with love, they don't feel challenged anymore. And they either become lazy or they become too dependent on you and I for their thinking. So I then started to be a bit more challenge style with my people. So that was back at the beginning. Um, and then I discovered coaching because I was clearly too instructive or supervisory in my style. So I then decided to kind of stretch it towards the coaching end of the spectrum. So that's how that basically panned out. If you were to ask my people today, um, I would probably say that I am ambitious and people expect me to challenge them, but constructively. Um, and I'd like to like to think I'm inspirational, but you may know better than I do, JB, because you talk to people more than I do. <laughs> well, I, I, I have never known anyone uh, with more uh, energy and uh, excitement about what you do. I think it's contagious. It's infectious. Um, and so, uh, you know, leading by example, I, I would describe you as having that attribute for sure and uh, very innovative, very creative. Um, and yeah, I think you drive your people, you know, I think you expect them to, to have the same energy level as you. Uh, otherwise, I think you're disappointed. Yeah. Would, but in terms of a style, I, I don't, I don't know what the style would be, but check, I'll be curious to know what you think your style is. Cause the question was, what was your leadership style when you were learning? Well, I, I, I think in one word, I think it's in your way in, for me to describe you, I think it's a, an energetic style uh that, that yeah. you know it, there's a load of motivation and um energy that goes around that um my, i think my style i would describe more as uh I inclusive facilitation which sounds a bit but i think what it means is that i am very very i've always been interested in the the conversations with customers with shareholders um I, we were in radio I, I was kind of really interested well, how, how come so many thousands of people listen to us what's that about what's our relationship with the with the listener how can we improve relationships and so i i was very inclusive and it got me into trouble a little bit actually in one corporate organization where my role was to get the business up to a certain share price value and I was told by the CEO that's the only thing that we need to do right now is to get <laughs> most important to, people are our shareholders. <laughs> yeah, us to, to get us to a five pound share price. And uh, I said, well, you you try telling a breakfast show presenter that that's the most <laughs> important, most exciting thing on the planet. And and I, I I said that I said I'm really I'm really sorry, but that's just not exciting. Uh, we have to find different ways to uh, talk to different audiences, and so uh, that inclusive approach is very very much my style of getting everybody involved and focusing on you know, their current experience and how could that be improved? And I don't care whether they're a shareholder. I don't care whether they are a customer, an employee, a supplier, what have you. I think a balanced view needs to be taken on, on the relationships with all of these. They are all equally important in my view. Now that is controversial. And I've, I've had difficult moments with certain people in the years, over the years, and I don't care. 
Um, so that's that. And I think the other part is that I am a facilitator. My my style is to facilitate uh, debate, to facilitate thinking, uh, to get people really, really kind of innovating and being more more able to get to the potential that they they clearly have. And that excites me. That gets me out of bed in the morning. So that's my style. I, as you say, I think I should answer this on behalf of what I observe of JB, and that is definitely a facilitator, a facilitator of thinking. Um, That's me. He offers up thinking when you ask him for it, but more often than not, it's about trying to get you to think for yourself, which is why I like working with him so much. Um, anyway, thank you for your question. If you do have questions in the live audience, you can submit it uh, via the Q&A box or the chat box. If you put it into the chat box, uh, we will mention your name. Just be aware, obviously, it'll be in the recorded podcast. For those of you listening to the recordings, uh, you can submit your questions to glp at seedle.com. We're going to record, I think, one, at least one, if not two more episodes before Christmas. So do email them through and we'll come to them. Um, next then, Mr. Bradley, um, your first topic if we may, that you brought up before the four-day working week? Well, uh, I think it it, it actually, uh, it, it links to that whole thing about uh, inclusive, inclusivity and uh, for the, the desire to facilitate. And what is what is that about? I, I think it's a curiosity thing. And I think it's developing that curiosity level can you develop curiosity can you lose curiosity <laughs> two questions for you and for us to to really get stuck into this conversation well okay so as a leadership quality uh, and this links quite nicely onto the question that we've just asked answered about you as a facilitator of other people's thinking i would say that you use curiosity as a non-judgmental way to seek further understanding from other people which brings out thinking in them as well. God, I sound like a psychologist all of a sudden. But (laughs) what I mean is, um, I think by being curious is empowering your direct reports to bring their thinking out for you. So long as the curiosity is authentic, because there is a risk, isn't there, that if you're not authentic with your curiosity and you're just pretending to show interest, yeah, I'm really interested in what you're doing. <laughs> um, you know, that that I think is not such a good leadership quality. But you had, sorry, you had a question specifically around curiosity you wanted to ask. Well, so um, I'm, I'm, I'm interested in whether you can develop curiosity as a, as a person and whether there are things that impact you as a leader that mean you kind of lose it can I just put a bit of context in that before we go further with it when we're running around in playgrounds as kids Mm -hmm. uh, and when we're finding new stuff that we see I think I love seeing curious kids I, I love seeing them what does this do but how does that work you know how how does that how 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 in the old days there were horses where are the horses now? Well, how come that car kind of goes along without a horse? I love that kind of simple, lovely curiosity. And then what happens? We go to school. Then we go, if you know, if we're smart enough, we go to university or not, as the case may be. And then we go 
into workplaces. And I just find that a lot of people lose lose their sense of curiosity. How come? If I think of um, older relatives, is it that they lose their dynamic mindset? Is it that they become more fixed in their mindset? And therefore, I think in your words, fixed mindset, my learning's done, thanks. Yeah. And therefore, they decide to check out of learning new stuff. Or is it... You know, it, it, my dad could be guilty sometimes of not seeming that interested. And that's because he's probably been told so many times by his various ex-wives, <laughs> um, you know, um, you've always got an opinion on something. And maybe there is a, okay, maybe I shouldn't ask questions and be less curious to prevent me from seemingly being judgmental. So my dad always asks how things are in business, but then sometimes his curiosity turns into sometimes like, a, you know, do you disagree with something then, dad? <laughs> yes. So does that then train people to think, okay, I don't want to come across as judgmental, so I won't ask any questions. I'll just be quite loose in my interest. Yes. So I, I'm well, not sure it, it's lost. It might be a learned behavior, though. So, well, let, let's let's try and unpick this. So um, I know people think mindfulness is a bit sort of kind of, you know, get down and get a bit sort of yogic and follow your breath and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> but if you if you trans translated it into um, being more self-aware, being more situationally aware, um, like you know in the example of your your dad being mindful of self mindful of others being situationally aware how would you how would you describe your dad in those frames of self others and situations generally loose right okay would so um how often does he ask himself this question um <laughs> my poor dad is going to get an email from a listener going hey your son's I... bitching about you in a podcast <laughs> what do i know to be true um he will do that a lot i suspect yeah so he will read newspapers both left and right wing newspapers to challenge his thinking that way and it'll have an opinion formed on that and it will challenge that. Okay. So answer your question. Well, so that that sounds like that he's making steps to be more situationally aware. Oh, I, I don't have a doubt of that. I, I'm, I, again, I'm using my dad perhaps as a bad example, but in terms of this, this, do people just no longer be curious? I, I think that's where it, this is interesting for me. Yeah. Well, I, so I think there's a, there's a, there's a, um one of the ingredients is is something like mindfulness and that's about being situationally aware and making your business to just check stuff out and you know sometimes you walk into a reception area in a in a building uh it, you could ask one person who's done it for what they saw 
within the first five minutes of being in that re reception, what they heard, what they saw, what they felt. And it would be very limited because to them, it was just walking into a building. And that's how they would respond to you. Well, I just walked into a building. I was just going to a meeting. I wasn't really thinking about it. There are other people you could talk to and they are situationally aware. They're, they're observing stuff. And you can tell a lot when you walk into a reception. You, you can hear tone of the people talking. You can see how people are dealt with in that situation. You can you can look at um, the you know the cleanliness. You can look at you know what music's playing if there is any music or whatever. Um, does does the uh, lift person really give a shit that the lift's not working? I, I don't know. It's loads of stuff. If, <laughs> and I'm just using it as a poor example, but you know that would that would be someone who is uh, kind of mindful of stuff around them and they yeah. make it their business to be mindful can you train can you train yourself to be that yes you can yes you can you can work at it so that you you look at the clues you you listen to the tone you you pick up on stuff now i want a leader like that i i want a leader that observes stuff like that the the other the other part i think that's important is um is empathy um which is which is really about putting yourself in the shoes of the other person um i'm curious how does how does that happen you know what 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 does that mean in your in your work life mm. how does that impact you how does it impact others really interested in the in the other person and then finally i think it's about having some level of humility um and you know which is which is a kind of tolerance and an acceptance of things and a and an understanding that things can be a bit ambiguous now and again and that all people are different and uh, you know i'm i'm nothing i'm nothing that i'm nothing special i'm just going to be humble so those those three things of mindfulness empathy and humility to me make up this this wonderful attribute called curiosity comments in the chat box from the audience is always welcome as ever your take on it but I, from my perspective i think curiosity is a really important attribute of being a leader um J jb talks a lot as i do about knowing focusing and valuing your people and for them to feel valued the more curious you are the more valued they feel because if you are interested in their opinion to shape your thinking that shows that you value what they can bring to the table so I think curiosity, you know, when was the last time you kind of, when asked one of your direct reports a question about something to understand rather than just to catch up on where they're at with a particular task or project? Instead, what's your opinion on this? You know, you, you've been doing this job for a while. Tell me, come and talk to me about it. When was the last time you did that? And I think that type of thing can really drive engagement in such a strong way. Um, it would be disappointing if you didn't do it. Is I guess my point. I think I think it's so. A lot of people that we come across uh, seem to feel that solutionizing um, and falling into the advice trap is the is the kind of only way forward. You know, just just constantly providing advice and solutions to others. So better better if um, we can focus on being more curious and asking more questions and uh, I, I will leave i'll leave this with this idea of illumination 
um, you know, where there are dark corners and dark stuff in organizations that we don't see and we don't hear and we don't we don't get into. We need to be more curious about what's going on in those darker, darker places and illuminate them, putting a big torch into those areas and go, what the hell is that? And what are we going to do about it? <laughs> uh, should we take another listener question? Um, we've had yes. no comments in the, the audience are, are always in listen mode on these ones. But if you have a listener question, feel free to stick it in. Anything about leadership at all, stick it in there. Want an opinion or something, we can do it. Um, we have another listener question. This has come in from the live audience. Thank you for this one to George in the audience who says, I'm new to management. I'm building a team around me and I've got to do my first interviews with my new hires next week. Tips, please. <laughs> wow. I just had a little bit of interference on my line. Could you just repeat that one more time, man? Because I lost about half of it. Yeah, George is uh, doing his first interviews for hiring people next week. Yes. And what, what tips can we offer him in terms of interviewing people? Ooh, you go first. All right. Um, so uh, nicely, I think we, we we can intertwine all these. It's all about curiosity um, for me. Um, now, normally, uh, when I used to... When I used to hire people, interview people, I was the first kind of um, first interview person. These days, I see people right at the end as kind of the final stage of going talk to Ant because he's one of the founders. So the the competency based questions are already there. Um, For me, um, I would say um, be armed with questions, um, but don't make it mechanical. Um, Situation based questions are always really quite helpful. Um, so think about, you know, situ- when was it to explain it? So think about the role you're hiring for and ask them to articulate situations that you think they, w- they would have come across that need to be relevant for the role you're hiring for. I think that's a, a good one. Um, ask about tasks. So have questions around tasks and what tasks have you done previously that you enjoy, you don't enjoy. So task based questions. Um, ask some questions around actions that they take in certain th- things and situations around that. How do they act? How do they behave? Um, uh, I, a couple of the cheesier questions I do like in first interviews are what would your best friend say about you? What would your, your enemy say about you? What would your current peer group say about you? You know, what, what's your reputation like? Um, I don't like the question in interview, you know, what weaknesses have you got? because no one's ever going to tell you you know they're rubbish at something your timekeeping i have loads of time off sick brilliant okay we'll be in touch (laughs) so you know um and the final one is is questions around results so i'll get specific around results you know what have you achieved here there etc um you know and and depending on your role um i think the experience-based questions will be really important so that that would be my take just loads and loads of questions but keep it conversational Share of voice is interesting in job interviews, I'd say, JB. I reckon 70-30, but like coaching. What do you reckon? Yeah, no, I think I think that's a that's a very good uh percentage. Yeah, at least sort of 20, 80, 70, 30 would kind of make sense. And I'm gonna throw a bit of a googly into this, I think, which is um asking them how how they respond uh to being led how they respond to being managed and how they respond to being coached. Bit weird, but I think from that, you'll get some quite interesting ideas about what leadership is for them 
and how they respond to uh, a leader and also what kind of management you so once you get into that first line of questioning then you get into the evidence so give me some evidence of when you've been well led then um or when you've been badly led what was what was your response to that did you challenge it did you not challenge it um I've never been coached well how come how come you haven't been coached you've got talent you want to learn how come you haven't had that experience with your boss so far so I think that kind of swivels that around. And the other the other part, of course, is I'd be looking for evidence of trust. Uh, trust is just yeah, yeah. the, you know, high trust teams are high performance teams. I only want people who get what trust is. And if you break trust down into four components, uh, it comes down to caring, consistent, candor and competence. So give me examples. And I think you were talking there about tasks and stuff. And in your current job, Tell me about your competence levels uh, in doing that work and which parts of that motivate you most. So we can get into a whole loads of interesting stuff about competence. Kanda, tell me about a time um, when you actually were really honest about something and it felt a little bit uncomfortable. Um, so Kanda um, and being consistent. Uh, what, are your, what, are, what are your best uh, traits of consistency that other people would recognize in you. Uh, tell us about that. Tell us about your consistency at work. And finally, tell me about evidence. I want some evidence of, of your caring, how you, how you empathize, how you care about other people. Give me some evidence about that. And I'm not just talking about colleagues. I'm talking about anyone who reports to you. And I'm also talking about um, relationships upwards, managing upwards. Uh, I want to hear about, you know, how you communicate the kind of conversations you have with people. I want some evidence on these four things. So um, it's a, I think actually put put all of that together from what Ant told you. Um, I think from that kind of whole thing, which is a bit weird and a bit peculiar, but uh, <laughs> go, go go with that. And I think that people will not be anticipating those kinds of questions in an interview and I think you'll get to the bottom of uh, whether they are good for trust uh, and what you might need to do to lead manage and develop this individual hopefully George some good suggestions there uh, in the chat box by the way um, for any of the live audience people feel free to put in your favorite leadership interview question and we can always read those out uh, to the rest of the audience you can do it anonymously we'll just read out your questions uh, and your initials uh, for that particular one but in the chat would love that from the live audience because there's so many of you in the room today um cool i, I so i think we can th th actually we've had one other um audience question would you like that jb we may as well stick with these because they're they're coming yeah, I in love them. fast i love them um what was the hardest decision you've had to take as leaders oh <gasps> wow questions wow um, um yes you want me to go first again well i i let's let's juggle it up a bit um i had to get rid of somebody um who was uh extraordinarily good at what they did and they were in sales uh you know by by some margin i have to tell you by some margin to the rest of the team uh but they were toxic and they were really, really 
bullying in their style to others in the team and were actually working for the clients uh, rather than the company. So the relationship with the client um, was, look, we'll try and get you a nice deal, sort you out with that, blah, blah, blah. And it was not good. It wasn't fitting with the values, um, my values, the values of the organization. Yeah. And I come, I came under enormous pressure to retain this person because of the, the sales figures that they brought into the business. Performance. Yeah. Massive pressure. Um, I, you know, a little word to the wise, Jonathan, you know, yeah. Thanks for that. Thanks for that <laughs> vote of support. That's really great. Anyway. Uh, I went ahead and did it. I got rid of this person. And um, it was it was a scary decision to make, but it had two big impacts. The first impact uh, was that it uh, gave confidence to the team that I would act in the right way uh, based on my values and the values of the team and the company. And the second impact, I have to be honest, uh, did did was a little bit unexpected. Uh, that we made more money uh, when <laughs> when we um, managed to get those clients to the rest of the team. We made so arguably, the clients money. actually were were um, not service as well, and you just didn't know any different. Yes. So that that, but I tell you what, uh, it was very very difficult. More more difficult because of the pressure that I was put under from yeah. above, rather than making this decision in in the first place. Um, my hardest decision, I think it's, it's not dissimilar, actually. It's always around exiting people. Um, so I was asked to cut, um, 30% of my budget, um, which, uh, I had limited supplier savings. So I had to resort to resources. Um, and that had a huge impact on, on morale. Um, and, I had to weigh that up. Um, but at the same time, I knew for the sustainability of the wider organization, I had no choice. So it was a case of trying to demonstrate and support the rest of the people that are left behind. You don't want survivor syndrome, I think they call it, mm. um, that this was for the greater good of the organization and for the security of all of our jobs. But I, I, I lost sleep over it for, for a good few days. Um, and which people I then had to do, you know, what services can I strip out? And it wasn't always a case of first in, last in, first out, sorry. You know, because the, the department I looked after had such a diverse range of skills, where well, it's not a case of that. You can't show loyalty to the length of service always. So, you know, it's, it's, it's tricky. So for me, that was my hardest decision is around exiting people. Um, and, um, restructuring of organizations is always a challenging one. Um, and then, of course, the decisions are then, well, what do we do with the people that are left behind to keep them making them feel loved? So I made sure that in with the savings I made, there was some budget that was remaining that I could then bring my people together <laughs> to rebuild the trust in the company. But fortunately for me, people understood the reasons behind the decision. This was not about just maximizing shareholder return. This was about sustainability of the company's existence. Um, and people still believed in the company. And unfortunately, it was just in a bit of a dark stage. So that that was me. Um, so, yeah, there you go. Cool. 
Brilliant. So how are you getting on at the exhibition, Ant? What, have you had people coming in, looking at you through the window? Yes, wondering I've, been what you're doing I've, been, I've been occasionally glancing. So someone knocked over a big box of pens. So there was a big, ooh. Oh, and I was dear. like, well, what's that about? So they're all Fire them. Fire them. Get rid Fire of them. Fire them enthusiasm, yeah. And then um, I think I've had about six or seven people like peering in the glass properly to try and look at the setup in this room. Do um, they look I, excited when they see your face? They're definitely, they're curious. They're curious. Yes, maybe. there you are. Yeah. Um, so look, um, so for those in the live audience, if you do have a listener question, it's your last chance to submit one before we wrap up for today's session. For those of you listening to the recorded podcasts, uh, you can submit your leadership questions to glp at Um, We do these podcasts normally once a fortnight. I think we're doing a few between now and Christmas. You can either be in the live audience or you can listen to it on demand. For those in the live audience, um, do have a look at our back catalogue. Search Seedle, S-E-E-D-L, wherever you get your podcasts. Of course, the factor in the live audience would suggest you know how to spell Seedle. Um, anyway, just search that wherever you get your podcasts. If you're on iPhone or Apple, um, we're on all of the different um, places you can get your podcasts um, and you can download the back catalog, which started three years ago. Uh, JB and I used to record it face to face, actually, um, pre-pandemic, We because we traveled so much together. We used to record it in hotel rooms, which was always good fun. Um, but uh, but there we go. So dodgy. <laughs> well, the first, the very first podcast, if I'm not mistaken, was recorded in a hotel in Singapore. Um, and you and I got progressively drunk. We hadn't done a podcast before. We didn't really know what we were doing. Two hours later, we were still going. We were like, oh, that that was easier than we thought it was going to be. It was just a big conversation. Um, so there we go. Uh, Mr. Bradley, what are you up to between now and, and next week then as we wrap up? Anything exciting planned? Uh, well, yes. There's a wedding. Uh, there's a we wedding other, aren't we? on friday yeah there's a there's a wedding on friday which we are all attending i shall be dusting down my suit and um, trying <laughs> to find a tie um and a i've got a new that... suit you've got a new suit mm, on account I... of the, you're so slim now ah i wish no um well you're certainly slimmer i'm slimmer yes um coupled with um that you tend to buy a suit and then you wear out your trousers but your jacket so I had no yes. matching trousers and jackets. I have a selection of both independently. So I thought I need to go and invest in a new suit. And as you say, I have lost weight since my last suit. So the, the jacket was too big and the trousers were didn't fit either. Well, at the risk of sounding a bit of a knob, I always like to have my suits tailor-made. And you know uh, that I have a little Hong fetish, Kong. Have yes. a little bit of a fetish for jackets from hong kong that i have made but anyway um unfortunately because i've lost quite a lot of weight i can't wear any of these flipping i tried them on the other day in in thinking about this wedding coming up and they're all too big they're all too bloody big so um i will look uh a little bit ridiculous at the wedding because i haven't had time to go and get a new suit um yeah so but anyway people say oh my god that 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 jacket's so so big on you yeah 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 i've lost quite a lot of weight actually um but uh anyway so we've got a wedding coming up that's exciting um and then i'm going to see two of my grandchildren and i know people are looking at me in the audience thinking how on earth could that man have grandchildren well i do i actually have three and there's more coming, I think. So, well, they don't know yet that they're coming, but I <laughs> there will be. Um, yeah, but leave it there. Yeah. Um, uh, so that's all quite exciting. So a lot of oxytocin uh, releasing all over the place this weekend. What about you, Love. Anne? 
Uh, same with well, Friday, you and me will be oxytocining each other, which will be oh, lovely. Big time. We'll just do a little swirl around the dance floor. I have never danced with you before. Shall we have a go at that? You won't dance with me on Friday either. The reason I used to be a DJ, Mr. Bradley, was because I didn't want to be on the dance floor. I wanted to be off the dance floor. So in order for me to still go and enjoy the music, I used to stand behind a DJ box. Still, you did. Had a great time. I bet you've got some moves. Yeah, it's called to the bar and to the car. (laughs) Um, So that's Friday. And then I think... We've got quite action plan weekends, I think. I think on Saturday we're going to um, one of my wife's family houses. One of and your wives? I'm... How many have you got? Sorry, one of my wife's... Wife apostrophe S. <laughs> wife's um, a family... I only know one of them. Homes. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. like my father, you know, many, many exes. <laughs> uh, children scattered all over the world. Um, I'm, I'm joking, by the way. I have four, but they are um, not from all over the world. Uh, anyway, so yes, yeah, so that, that's that as as uh, for know. the weekend. Exactly. Of course, we're into December, aren't we, as of tomorrow? So oh my God. The, the, the elf will arrive in our house. Have you ever heard these oh elf phenomenons? Um, and the advent calendars will be oh. distributed this evening by my wife. I did buy them a few weeks ago. So they will be given out this evening. No doubt that will cause conflict as to, well, I wanted the Maltesers. Um, but that's that's my next few days. Um, our hour, unfortunately, ladies and gents, is up. Um, but if you want to get involved in the next episode or you want to download the back catalogue, as said, get in touch, dlp at seedle.com. Um, for any in the live audience or listening to the recordings, uh, we would love to hear from you with your questions. And we will do another one in a couple of weeks' time. Uh, I've been Anthony. And I've been JB, staying curious uh, in the way that I wish to lead the rest of my life. Goodbye. Bye-bye. <laughs>